0: Hey, and welcome to the School of Feminine Pleasure. My name is Ingen Tenbach, and in this episode, you can listen to Nadia Eriksson talking to uh, Michaela Baum, uh, the author of the book The Wild Woman's Way. She's a world-known teacher in the field of sexual and relational empowerment, and she has a lot of experience, and I found this conversation particularly interesting because it, uh, it's, uh, it really sees it from the wise woman's perspective, the things that we are doing in the neo-tantra scene and in uh, the awakening of the feminine empowerment from a spiritual perspective. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did.
1: Okay, hello and welcome. Today I'm going to speak with Michaela Böhm, author of The Wild Woman's Way, teacher and tantric wisdom keeper. So hello Michaela, welcome. So (laughs) good. So let's start with a little check-in. So just tell us a little bit about where you're calling in from today and how are you doing right now in your body, mind and being.
2: Um, ha -ha, Good question. I am uh, at home. So I'm in Ojai, California, which is about uh, 40 minutes from Santa Barbara, an hour and a half from Los Angeles, if you're not familiar with the area. And uh, it's eight in the morning. So it's early. Uh, It's gorgeous out. Uh, There's a a really, really heavy um, citrus bloom right now. So the air is very, very fragrant and it's just beautiful, and we had a lot of rain this year, so there's flowers everywhere. So uh, I'm very happy in uh, body, mind, and spirit. I've done an hour of uh, practice, and I've uh, gardened and watered my plants, and uh, here we are. So I've, I've been up for a few hours.
1: Mm, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I wish I was in California right now. mm mm-hmm. I'm in, um, sitting in a home in Berlin right now and I'm a bit sunburned, my skin feels really hot. We had a few couple, couple of days where it was really, really warm here. Ah. Um, right now it's the It's just cooling down a little bit and I'm feeling like really excited and a little bit nervous also, but just super excited and happy to be speaking to you.
2: Oh great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: all right so let's talk about your book but well, first of all i want to say congratulations for bringing this beautiful book out into the world the wild woman's way thank you yes um
2: how does it feel <laughs> um you know it's an interesting thing because um, it's a good question how does it feel it feels very good i'm very happy with it um, you know I'm, i 'm often when when you produce something in the aftermath, you go, "Ah, uh, you know I could have done better." there's certainly always something that I could have added or wanted more of, but in general i 'm very happy with it, and I feel like um, I 've packed everything I wanted women to know into this book, and I was very fortunate i didn 't have to compromise in the publishing. Well, I, I, let's say I barely had to compromise in the publishing process, which isn't always the case, I've been told. Yes. And so I got to um, have it the way I wanted it with all the practices in the back. So you can just go to the practice section and don't have to scroll through each chapter. And all the things I wanted to say are in there. So it feels really, really good. And I have quite a bit of urgency around... Um, Sharing the things in the book, because I think they're very important at this particular moment in time
1: mm.
2: how come Well, I think we are in a place where uh, we could easily get lost you know and out of the body um, in the pursuit of all the things we can do, mm-hmm. and so um, the you know the the ability to stay connected with the body and stay connected with Uh, what the body brings right so sensuality sexuality um, having really good judgment and intuition and um, also drawing from the body as a source of power those are all things that can get lost very easily when everything we do is in the head right it's uh Being on the phone, being on the computer, writing emails, social media, thinking, doing, speaking, right? And our bodies get parked a lot, you know, just in a chair or um, in an office. And so I think it's uh, very, very important in this particular moment that we counteract that strong upward into the head, neck and shoulder uh, energetic motion and everything that comes with it, because the empowerment um that can happen through the body can't happen any other way you can think about being powerful but that's not quite the same as having power in the body
1: yes i totally agree with that um yeah so i mean i i really love all the practices i mean i I love the homework but i really enjoy all the physical practices it makes it so tangible and doable and Mm. i really love that um the hip circle practice. I'm really like trying to incorporate it into my day because I also sit a lot on the computer and write. And then like I've been trying to to do the hip practice, the hip circles like once every hour or so to kind of come mm. back to the body. And that feels like it's really helping me to get the energy moving again where I could feel often feel like I'm getting tired from being in front of the screen for so long. So that was amazing. Are you using that in your, like when you're writing, like when you're writing your book or your, your blogs or whatever, like, do you do this practice? or what is it that you do to um, keep coming back to your body when you're like doing this really heavy work?
2: Yes, I do the hip circles and I do a lot of nonlinear movements and Mm -hmm. um, it depends, you know, where I'm at, but everything that I write about in a book is road tested, meaning I do it and I have done it. And that's something I'm very happy about. And, um, you know, then I did kind of a whole online course based on the book where I'm guiding those practices, uh, even on a deeper level because these are the things that keep me sane and alive and, um, you know, uh, working, uh, with everything I have because it's, you know, it's quite um, intense in my life. And so, Uh, Hip circles, to me, is one of the things that I can't do without. And nonlinear movement is the other one. Because that way, I don't lose my body, even though I sometimes have, you know, 14, 16-hour work days. And when we teach, particularly when it's like longer teaching days, you know, 10 to 10 or something like that, it takes a lot of um, staying connected with the body for that to be, um, you know, a kind of a wholesome teaching. And so, yeah, I love hip circles and it's so easy. And then the other thing that I do pretty much every day is I do some, yeah, I have some connection with nature. I mean, unless we're in the middle of New York City, which doesn't happen that often once a year, um, I always find some way to connect with nature. And that really also makes a huge difference. And hip circles in nature is, of course, the best. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: oh awesome. And I I know that you're also working with men and couples. So where did the idea come from to make a book especially for women?
2: Well, I'm you know, this is not the only book I'm going to write. I'll make my way to couples <laughs> and uh, eventually men, I think. <laughs> um but I wanted to start with women well, for two reasons. The, the the first one being that I am a woman and so Um, I really felt that the first round of um, writing that I wanted to do was out of my personal experience, both in the work that I've created in the Wild Woman's Ways, kind of original work I've created over the last almost 20 years, and actually a little bit longer than that. But, um, you know, I've also had a, a series of rather challenging events in my life that I managed to get through, and you know, still am getting through. And so, it was really, really important for me to share the things that made me stay um, with it, you know, and in the body and alive and sensual and sane. So that's why I think the other reason, of course, is that about four and a half years ago now, um, a little bit longer actually. The time goes so fast, mm-hmm. uh, but so almost five years ago. My first teacher died and so i became the holder of that particular lineage there was about a week between when uh, she fell sick and when she died in which i was essentially informed that uh, she was going to pass the responsibility of passing this on on to me and i didn't quite realize what that meant till maybe 6 months 8 months later um, when you know, I suddenly realized that teaching um, women, because it's a woman's lineage, Mm -hmm. is something that's um, of utmost importance from the viewpoint of giving that information forward. And it was very interesting because my teaching partner, Steve, was the one who really kind of asked all the questions and uh, figured out you know, the kind of connections that I hadn't made yet. And at that point, we decided to do teacher training as a way of uh, passing some of the information on so that it, you know, so it was out there. And then also we did more long term apprentice things and, you know, study groups and all kinds of things so that I could um, actually give of those things. And the book was a logical extension of that, so that that material or the beginnings of the, because it's just the beginnings of that material out there. And um, the other aspect of that is that I think when we as women lose our connection to sensuality and um, sexuality, we can't really engage relationally as fully as we want and then that of course you know influences the couple's work and influences men and what is required of them or what is asked of them and so that's why i wanted to start
1: that makes sense (laughs) beautiful (laughs) explanation so um, when you when you're in like creation mode, when you're writing, what I saw on your website, you were talking uh, and some article like you were talking about your day and how how your daily rituals look like. But um tell us a little bit about your day when you're writing. Like, what times you start writing, and how many hours a day do you spend doing that? And, yeah.
2: Well, there's two kinds of writing. Right, there was the writing of the book, and then there's the writing of now ongoing material, and they're very different. The book. Uh, I had a very short period of time that I had available just for writing. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was essentially seven weeks total. And, um, I had this very romantic idea as, you know, I think all first time book writers do that. Um, I was going to have this amazing writing retreat and it was just going to be so fantastic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, (laughs) I figured i 'll transition from riding at home uh, tra- from from traveling to riding at home by renting a cabin in Holland for uh, on the what I thought close to the beach mm-hmm. in in uh, Holland, so that I had like a week to transition from teaching because we had a very heavy teaching schedule to then going home to California and so I figured i 'll get a head start in that week and um that proved to be not the case (laughs) because of course, uh, you know, all kinds of things start showing up when you're really confronted with writing. Mm -hmm. So my first week, um, interestingly enough, I outlined all the practices in the first week because all I could do to keep myself from going absolutely, um, crazy was practicing. Um, and so I, Get, didn't get that much writing done in the first week. But then once I came to California, what I did is I had this little writing shed. Mm-hmm. It was, this, um, you know, away from the house and it had a, a loft with a little bed in it and the desk and all my books. Oh, and nice. so it was kind mm-hmm. of a library slash writing shed. Mm-hmm. And so I'd get up at six, I'd make myself a cup of tea and I would go straight into the shed. And I didn't come out till midnight. Wow. And I did that for six straight weeks. And that was the deal. I was going to go in there and I was not going to leave. I had people bring me food. And um, the only time I ever left was to go to the bathroom. And, <laughs> um, which was right next, you know, like there was an entrance into the house yeah. close by. And that's all I did. And I just didn't relent. And some of that time was extremely productive and some of that time was pretty agonizing and um because you know you, you have these ebbs and flows and it yeah. took a little while till i realized the ebbs and flows and it and then i realized certain shortcuts and how i could program my body to start writing and i figured it all out so then about two, three weeks into the six weeks I had at home, I had a really nice groove going on and it was very, um, yeah, it was very interesting. So it was it was not easy and I had like moments of like massive procrastination. I must have seen the entire, uh, whatever, f- five seasons at that point, four or five seasons of Game of Thrones in the first. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, you know, it was, it was quite, it was quite interesting. Um, but then, but then once I had a rhythm, I would just write and then I'd have a nap or rest and then I'd read and edit and then I'd write again. Mm. And so I got into this whole rhythm of, and then I'd sit and meditate. Um, if I'd feel like all over the place, I would sit and meditate. And then if I'd feel too in my head, I do nonlinear And I just kept that up from six in the morning till midnight. And then I went and slept. And then, um, you know, you kind of have these waking, dreaming kind of states. And then I do it again. And it was actually really, really good. And I'm really looking forward to doing it again um, as soon as I can. Wow. (laughs) That sounds mega inspiring Mm. and intense. And oh my God it was very intense. So now that the book's done and I'm just writing, you know, articles and, and stuff um, it's a bit different in the sense that um, I will do like two, three hours in the early morning. Uh, Very funny. I'm, you know, I really am not a morning person. Really. I I do best at night, late at night, but the nature of, um, you know, teaching and also the nature of the, the, the current rhythm on my land and and the house and everything uh requires that i do everything that's of real you know focus early early in the morning so now i get up really early and i get a couple of hours in and then i just move on with my day
1: Mm. Mm. beautiful i got very curious when you were saying you taught yourself how to program the body to start writing Mm-hmm. Would you like to share a bit more
2: about that? That's really interesting. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, and this is really, really silly, but it's, it, it works. When I need to write and I don't want to, or I'm kind of not feeling up to it, I do uh, watch a bit of Game of Thrones. <laughs> 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 and I have such strong associations of. Um, you know, kind of the 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 on ramp to writing in the in that summer. This was two summers ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being that that now when I just watch ten fifteen minutes of a random Game of Thrones episode, that somehow induces my body into the writing state. Mm-hmm. And the other thing. Um, that does it is every morning before I started writing. So I I was completely offline. So, you know, in those,
0: Mm. in
2: those six weeks, the only time I went online was to once a day I checked if my assistant needed anything and um, any, anything that had to do with writing the book, right. If I had to research something Mm -hmm. or if I had to send a chapter to somebody to read, because I was, you know, doubting myself or something. Uh, well, I shouldn't say somebody, uh, you know, Steve was the one who would read things and, and comment on it or not. Um, so uh, I had a piece of music that I listened to every morning when I did kind of the, f- I, I lit a candle. I wrote some things down by hand. I pulled some, uh, I have these Oracle cards and I listened to a piece of music. And so when I listen to that piece of music, same thing that, that pops my body into writing mode. Mm.
1: Is it classical music or some, any special kind of music or just? Like- uh, no,
2: it's just a, it's just a piece from a friend of mine who is a, is a composer. Uh, it, it It's not classical music in the sense that it's a new piece, but it's a, it's a piano piece actually. And mm. it's, uh it's kind of an ambient uh piano, you know, Kind of world music piece, that's uh, very um, evocative. It's about ten minutes long, and so whenever I hear that, that gets me going into um, into writing as well.
1: Mm. Well, thank you. That's really good um, principles. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. going to try those next time I feel procrastination. Um, mm-hmm. And now that Game of Thrones has relaunched, do you feel like inspired to write every time you watch it?
2: uh yeah i i feel quite inspired at the moment anyway but uh right now the writing is more in the i'm creating a few online courses Mm
0: -hmm. so
2: um i'm doing more of that at the moment and that feels really good and um fruitful and creative so that's that's mostly what i'm putting my attention on right now
1: Mm. beautiful and so, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your story you were mentioning in the book how you'd moved um, from Austria to Germany, and then at some point you're living in LA and you only know this one person, and I'm like in my mind going on like, oh okay, so how come she moved to LA Like motivated her to go there, and like who was that person that made her go there? And and then you were saying that you were counseling artists and billionaires. And how did all of that get started? Like, how
2: did you that transition? Uh, well, it's a longer story than I think we have time for. But, um, you know, it's the, the coming to L.A. was not a conscious... It really wasn't a conscious decision. I'd, I actually never really liked the thought of America, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the one country I wasn't that interested in visiting and I had done some pretty extensive travel by the time I came to the states but never been to the states because it was just not you know there was no reason for me to go mm-hmm. I I didn't feel culturally drawn or uh you know professionally drawn and um I actually only came to LA because uh I was speaking at a at a conference and um I, uh, <laughs> I I'll try and make this very short, but it's a longer story. But essentially, I lived in Hamburg, and which I hated, by the way. But that's a different story. Uh, not 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 the city, but the weather. I, yeah. I hated the weather, and it was really really depressing. And um, but so it's a, the the long story short is I broke up with the man I thought I was going to marry. And, you know, this, I'm talking like mid-20s or so, right? Mm So, yeah, mid to late 20s. And um, had a horrible, horrible, you know, heartache, um, uh, just, you know, existential, what am I doing with my life? And this is all very horrible. And I essentially packed a few things and my dog into a rental car and drove from Hamburg to Vienna in one sitting, all the while howling and crying and feeling horrible and very sorry for myself. <laughs> and, and so then I um I had a bit of a sabbatical in that transition and I went to LA uh to speak at this conference and I ended up in a very, very bad rebound relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean just like really, you know, the kind of the the stupid shit you can only do in your <laughs> mid twenties. Right? Just yeah. like uh, just heartbroken, no judgment, total rebound, mm. um, and the the interesting thing of of course was this didn't last very long, and it was a very bad choice of men. Uh, well, an Austrian, interestingly enough, but who lived in um, in Los Angeles, and who was really uh, you know uh, yeah, not a good choice for all all kinds of um, reasons. But I'm super stubborn. And once I had made the decision to come to L.A., um, I kind of dug my heels in. I could have just gone back home. And uh, then eventually, you know, I met my husband and and I really enjoyed California. And then I stayed. But it wasn't one of those, uh, you know, wow I must live here and it's incredible it was more I didn't want to go home and tell my parents I had made a mistake (laughs) if if, you know to be really honest about it and now then what of course turned out was that um I because I was free from the constraints of the European you know convention Mm. Um, And I think you know what I mean by that, Uh, living in Germany, right? So there's Austria, at least, and and also Germany where I lived. There's very strong convention. You have to be a certain way, essentially. I think it's probably not quite uh, that nowadays, but back then, you know, your past was pretty forged for you. And so looking back at it, the fact that I didn't have to conform to those expectations freed me tremendously and really allowed me to be me and to figure out what I was good at and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to be and behave and work. And so in a fairly short period of time, I got my feet uh, very firmly underneath me and I started doing the kind of work I wanted to do and Um, as that goes right when you do the kind of work you want to do it's very magnetic so in a fairly short period of time it took me less than two years to establish a very very solid counseling practice and a very solid consulting business and um, I um, I had to go back to school in you know in 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 Los Angeles and while I did that I needed to make money of course Mm -hmm. And, um, there wasn't that many ways to go full, you know, to go to school and make money. So I worked at a, um, I, I don't know what you want to call it, like a very fancy, uh, cosmetic store, you mm-hmm. know, in, in Hollywood, like, you know, where everyone who was anything in the, in the realm of celebrities and, you know, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, musicians or whatever would go to and I worked there. And it was really funny because people would say to me all the time, Why are you working here? You know, what are you doing? And I'd go, Well, uh, you know, I'm really a counselor and I'm in the middle of just getting a certification for you know the US and I go to school in the evening and I see clients in the evening, and during the day I work here. Mm -hmm. And it was really funny because people would just go, oh, I want to come see you. (laughs) And which to me still till this day is mind boggling because I, I built a whole clientele while essentially selling lipstick. Wow. (laughs) And, and (laughs) And whatever, you know, because, um, I, I, I knew my stuff, right. And I was very, uh, educated and, and, enthusiastic about what I was doing. And so it took me less than two years from knowing that one person who I had long left at that point and who turned out to be quite horribly controlling and abusive. So it didn't last very long, the rebound uh, relationship. And I learned a lot, you know, I learned a lot about how as a woman uh, you can, you know, get from being a very strong independent Uh, woman to being in uh, a corner Mm. you know because uh, yeah I never thought I was going to end up in a situation like that but nobody ends up in a situation like that or nobody let's say nobody wakes up in a situation like that it's a very gradual erosion and Mm -hmm. that was really really instrumental in my learning because interestingly enough I always had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about you know people in in dangerous or abusive situations uh, till I ended up in something that was really not very pleasant and could see how how I had gotten there and that actually was much better schooling than any schooling I received and it was also very humbling because I never thought that was going to happen to me right and so the combination of uh, some pretty interesting experiences also around not being supported, right? Because in Austria, you know, I mean, you go to school, you get, you know, you're well supported in your schooling. Then you have six weeks of paid vacation. Once you start working, Uh, you have healthcare, right? Everything's essentially taken care of and then you come to America and there's nothing. Yeah, I, I mean absolutely nothing. So that having to fall back on myself mm-hmm. and um, extricate myself from a relationship that I moved a continent for, right, was um, really instrumental in in the work that I did in later years in counseling and in in, in also women's empowerment because it gave me a very different understanding. Yeah, really. That's a, that's still long winded, but that's a very, very short um, answer and then, over the years um, in in later years, I started consulting on with a few people who were very famous, and then that led to more work in that particular domain, and then eventually, I segued also into kind of um, family office work where I'm working with the families on succession and you know second and third generation wealth and things like that so there's a lot to my private work that's not the teaching work that's really um, interesting that came later you know in later years we're talking about the first two three years of uh, me being in in LA now Hmm.
1: so how did you learn about all those business skills I mean
2: that I'm imagining
1: you must know if you do this kind of counseling
2: Well, it's, you know, it's not so much the business that I'm concerned with. What my real expertise is, and that's a combination of, you know, schooling and experience, is uh, interpersonal dynamics. And interpersonal dynamics, as they relate to the sexual relational realm, of course, right, which is a big part of what we're doing these days, um, is, you know, teach people how to have a live uh, full relationships that are both that both have the relational and the sexual component. So you know, keeping the spark alive, mm-hmm. um, attracting someone who is well suited—all of those kind of things—and um, that particular, uh, you know, engagement with the with the business aspect has more to do with. How to choose the best people to support a certain function and how to best choose people that support the person who is the main person. And that has to do with uh, styles of communication, outlook, bigger picture, uh, you know, how relationship patterns slot into each other, who reacts to whom, how, based on previous experience. Uh, childhood programming, parental programming. So it's more in that domain. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm able to manage my own business, but I'm not a business consultant. But anything that has to do with the interpersonal aspect. And then the other part of that is um, because my work is through the body, right, it's, psych- it's, it's psychologically based in many domains, but it's also embodiment based, Um, I look at where people lose energy. So energy leaks, Mm -hmm. areas where uh, they are not capable of um, maintaining or generating energy. And that's often relationship and sex.
1: Mm. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense when you explain that now. I've really been wondering about that, but now I get it. (laughs) <laughs> right. So before your book came out, I mean, I've, I've only known you kind of from hearsay about like as this mysterious Austrian woman who who travels and teaches with David Data. And, and on your website, I mean, you, you mentioned that you've traveled with him for 13 years. Mm-hmm. And then you didn't really mention him in the book. Um, and in some part of the book, um, I almost sensed a bit of a criticism towards like some of his teachings when I think it was about the female stereotype of what he would maybe describe like the third stage woman.
2: Um, how come, do you want to speak a bit about that? Um, yeah. You know, there isn't that much to be said uh, in, in the sense that I spend, uh, you know, 13 years running, you know, events, co-teaching with David traveling Um you know having a really, really lovely and very wonderful and deep friendship uh, and business relationship right mm-hmm. I should say business relationship first and friendship and then, as these things go um, as I grew older, well there were a few there were, there were a few components that that fit you know that kind of came together as I grew older and as I grew more into my own work and the women's work has nothing to do with David at all, you know, Mm. because that came before and that always ran parallel. um, Simply because it it comes from my own explorations and it comes from my earlier teacher. And I've always taught the wild woman's way, you know, even while uh, putting on events for David and teaching with David Mm. Without you know the wild woman's way, without David, of course, mm-hmm. but as it goes, one of the things that happens when you in, engage with subjects so intensely is um, you find out more about things, right? And I've done over 40,000 client hours in my lifetime so far, and you know, I've taught solidly for the last 15 years and the last. Um, Five years, I've taught up to sixty events a year. So you can't imagine how many people I've seen in mm. field, so to speak. Um, and so, for me, when that happens, um, what I need to look at is: are are things actually working? Are the things that um, I'm teaching, or are the things that I'm counseling, or are the things people do? actually working and there's two aspects to that one is the updating of of one's technology so to speak right Mm -hmm. you have to upgrade your beliefs and you have to upgrade your operating system so to speak Mm -hmm. because um i've changed and i have much more information and i have much more practical on the ground um ideas about what works between men and women and what works for women, what works for men than I had 15 years ago.
1: Mm.
2: So there's that. So I have to constantly update. And there are things I believed in quite uh, vigorously, maybe 10 years ago, that I absolutely don't believe in anymore for one certain female stereotypes, which you just mentioned, which I'll get into. The other part is that, people have changed a lot. Relationships have changed a lot. The landscape of what's available for men and women individually and the political landscape around relationship and sexuality and also the way people want relationships has changed tremendously in the last 10, 15 years, particularly in the last, I want to say five, you know, with, with Tinder and all the things that are happening the things that used to be true are no longer true to me. Mm -hmm. And the the way people used to be isn't the way people are now. And so there are many things that I no longer think are useful. And the one thing that I'm particularly not thinking that's useful is a a certain kind of a stereotyping that essentially makes women into these um, crazy, chaotic... Insane storms that need to be weathered. Um, You know, yes, that is one part of us, but that's not women, that's the feminine, and there's a huge difference, right? And that's one part of the feminine, not the entire feminine. Mm -hmm. And so I started really chafing at the general perception that people would have because people like some good dogma because it's easy you you just have to slot in something it becomes just another religious belief now all men are constantly conscious and full of purpose and all women are wild and you know and it's like nah you know most people have to um raise families and they have to make a living and Mm -hmm. they want a creative life and they want a business life and they have to, men and women alike, alike have to agree to contracts and job descriptions and, you know, bank rules and, and stuff like that. So to drag things that are in the sexual domain into a lifestyle is very dangerous. And I've seen people ruin their relationships by applying Sexual principles to their life and ruin their kids, you uh, know, lives by doing weird stuff because they interpret things uh, in odd ways. Right, and so that's why I'm very um, cautious to give prescriptions uh, because I also find it very dangerous when women try and slot into yet another role, right? Because we, we've just barely emerged from kind of the 50s housewife mm. and a lot of the stuff that's now out there is is essentially this, the neo-tantric version of a 50s housewife yeah oh we must be feminine we must do this we must do that yeah well we can but that's not all we can and you know, when somebody when I hear a guy say in a workshop to a woman, Well, you're just not in your feminine or you're not feminine enough, <laughs> something's gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> because it's it's you know, it's a gender war stereotyping set of circumstances where people punish each other for not having enough bandwidth and variety. And so the key to me is that people have everything available and they can be that, but they can be many other things and they know how to switch back and forth. So, so, you know, those are some of the reasons why I've moved on. There's other reasons as well uh, that have to do with, you know, um, my age and I was, you know, I'm now 51 and I have a very strong um, desire to give of my experience and my knowledge freely and in the way I choose. And so um, there were aspects to it that felt way too restrictive and complicated for, and, and energy robbing um, that I didn't want to do them anymore, right? I wanted to free my energy for the things that I'm most passionate about, which is teaching and writing and traveling and... Um, you know, creating new practices and immersing myself in my own practices. And I'm really, really glad I did. And, you know, I don't, I mean, I'm super happy about the trajectory of my life and how I've spent my time and with whom I've spent my time, Mm. but I don't want to calcify. And I don't want to be the person who's known for a thing that was good 10 years ago. You know I I want to if it's at all possible uh, be a woman who doesn't just you know solidify in some belief and and talk that belief till the end of her days mm. in you know and and hope you know that that's just I have a very very strong passionate feeling about the freshness and um, <clears throat> I don't know what the word would be that that the you know the The constant evolving and 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 maturing and my relationships have certainly changed a lot and my view on relationship has changed and my sexuality has changed tremendously in the last five six years and Mm -hmm. you know so of course now are my hormones and my body and and um you know the the kind of people i'm working with privately their power and and um Ability uh, has taught me a lot about how to teach things differently. And that's what I want to do till I no longer am capable of doing it. Mm. And I hope that every couple of years I look back and I go, yeah, that was good back then, but you know, moving on, this is now how, you know, these are the newest findings, still keeping a through line of principles, but not getting stuck in, um, any stereotype or in anything that makes people forget who they are and take on somebody's ideology as a way, you know, like, like a little pill, you, you do this and everything will be fine because we know it's not true that if you do this, everything will be fine. Exactly. You know, it's, it's just not happening. And, and furthermore, the last thing I want to say about that is particularly for women, when you start you know, bending yourself so that you are someone that's loved, you're compromising yourself. Yes. And so any prescription as to how you have to be in order to be loved is going to lead to more compromise down the line. You might, in the short term get the thing or the man or the sex you want but in the long term you'll lose yourself more and more and more so i'm really passionate about um encouraging each human not only women but each human to inquire on what's their truest expression and most people's truest expression is not they live alone except when they have sex and they barely leave the house right because they can they can't bear to they're so sensitive to the environmental <laughs> factors they can't bear to do that and have other people take care of all their stuff um so that they can pursue uh, their spiritual or you know life practice that's not how it pans out for most people it's quite <laughs> rare yeah quite rare and so no offense to somebody who wants to do that but it's not practical for actual on the ground relationships that have to function on multiple in multiple domains and on multiple levels
1: true true Um, i'm i was so happy and relieved you know when i was reading that in your book because this is really something i've been learning and experiencing one more for myself in the last two or three years as as my girlfriend and i were writing our book because I've or we've both been also in um, this temple community for many years, right? I where it was taught these principles, where you should be like this, almost like spineless damsel in distress, that should be guided right. by the masculine, surrendered to it. And I, you know, we really tried to kind of like buy into that, and I felt like it was really like dis- so disempowering. And then I realized, oh, why is my relationship not working, and why do I feel so low on my confidence levels? Yeah. And and you know, it wasn't until like. Two, three years ago, that I started to change, and I started to listen much more to my own inner guidance instead of for somebody outside of myself, sort of what I should do. Um, so, just reading about it in your book, also, since obviously you're like a strong woman that I really trust and you have know, so much wisdom, so there was just never confirmation that that was really like on. And yeah, just felt really like oh, reassuring to hear that. Also, now when you speak about it, it's just like really lands.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, what you just said is case in point, right? Because there's so much more to us. And I personally on the, in the sexual domain, meaning, you know, how I want to be relationally, erotically, sexually, Mm -hmm. I'm certainly on the very, um, let's say, surrendered end of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But in my life, I am not. And the, the thing that we have to keep in mind is that the things we do all the time are the things that shape our body mind and and um, behavior right so if I would only kick ass every day all day, then my body would be uh, reacting a certain way right or being a certain way if i 'm only a damsel in distress and, and do that all the time, then my body would st- would start reacting you know, useless and hopeless in a certain way uh, because, and and disempowered. Um, and so, you know, both of those things are not useful. What's really useful is that you have a full spectrum available and that when it's time to kick ass, you can kick ass with confidence. And when it's time to um, relax and open and flow, you can do that. And you can do that with somebody who you know you can trust because you haven't given up all your agency in some kind of attempt to um, surrender, right? Because one of the things that I saw that really, really started bugging me is I, I saw women who had bought into this whole thing that they were not surrendered enough and they were like too much in that masculine. And if they could just give it up, uh, then, you know, the, their men could take them somewhere. Mm-hmm. And and men who thought that, you know, if they could just drag a woman, you know, into their cave, so to speak, through their actions, then all would be okay. But the thing that, this, that, that people wouldn't understand is that, uh, let's see how I can say this. If you are not feeling open and surrendered to the man you are with, Um, you can bend yourself into a pretzel and you can lower your threshold of what you find okay to surrender to endlessly. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be like scratching an itch, right? It's not going to do it because it's not the real thing. It's kind of the facsimile of the, the real thing, right? And so when you see these guys stand in a certain way, which supposedly denotes their conscious attention right you see a bunch of guys faking conscious attention over tension Hmm. and so when then the women go oh oh he's so still he stands so well which by the way is utterly impractical when it comes to sex, because usually that's not how sex works, right? The guy isn't just standing there looking like he just, excuse me, shit his pants. Uh, You know, there's dynamic action involved that the body hasn't learned. But what happens is as a woman, you have to lower your threshold of acceptability to the point where you're overriding your sense and you go, oh, I must surrender to this because I must have this feeling. Yes. And so the only way that you can do that is you lower your standards and you lower your expectations and you you um, disempower your intuition. Exactly. And exactly. then you end up in a really bad spot with a guy who just has practiced how to stand a certain way, but he's essentially otherwise not that. And then you make the guy... Is life a living hell because you expect things from him that he's not capable of and then there's two people doing a thing on each other that's not true of them mm. and so that's not to say that I don't enjoy that mindless surrender with the best of them but that has to come from a much deeper much more um, integrated and embodied place And when that happens, it happens naturally. And also when that happens in the man, he's naturally um, rooted and relaxed and still and not, you know, tight assed, uh, you know, hands sticking out to the side, eyes bulging kind of still. (laughs) No. Yeah, exactly. And I think it... It kind of creates this
1: literal dangling carrot in front of our yes. nose because we're constantly thinking it's like this reinforcing this disbelief, this which I think is so predominant in so many women. It's like,
2: oh, I'm not good enough. I just have to try a little bit harder. Like then i right, right. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Right. It's like there is a subtle and not so subtle, right, um, yeah. thing that that there's something wrong with us. Mm-hmm. because otherwise right and if you're not an inspiration to your man and <laughs> you know and I must say I've I've spouted that rhetoric myself at some point yeah. right so so I want to be very clear on that that um I'm as guilty of having said that and also believed it right mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I tried bending myself into that particular pretzel mm-hmm. and then there came a very specific moment where I was like wait a second what the hell am I doing? And I was like, I'm intensely capable and organized and able to um, guide people in their explorations, which is, you know, considered a masculine task in the direction part. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's a feminine task in the sense that you have to feel and navigate energy. Yeah. But I had like this real aha of, what the hell am i doing you know why am i doing this this isn't helping anyone not me not the people around me and that was a pretty pretty interesting moment yeah. and um you know a pretty interesting exploration as to how how can the principles that are useful and worthwhile be preserved while the the dogma is being uh, taken out of the equation. Hmm. So good. So that's where it's at, and you know I'm pretty sure that some of the things I'm talking about now with great confidence, I will find obsolete again in a couple of years and i Absolutely. I hope to I hope to God that that's the case, yes. and that you know new new stuff comes up
1: yes exactly I mean it's so important to like you said, always update our belief system and always keep it fresh and keep asking those difficult questions and keep exploring and inquiring and testing things right yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it seems like you have a really well-developed feminine and masculine in in your being. And um, for me, it's more like my natural tendency goes towards being like really surrendered and feminine that's just like really well, um, well, alive in me, I would say. I feel like I don't need to do as much feminine practice. So I was wondering, do you have any um, kind of quote-unquote advice or practices like for women who are, or men, like whatever, um, who are really good at flowing in the feminine, but who need to get better at like being
2: in the masculine and, you know, kicking ass and
1: getting Yes.
2: To... <laughs> yes, and it's good that you say that because it's so important to understand that in each human there is equally uh, masculine and feminine, right? It, it And that's important because otherwise you wouldn't function. Mm-hmm. It's just we have a sexual preference uh, meaning we you know, surrender or take sexually. And that's, that's your preference, your sexual preference, but it doesn't mean that you don't have all these other parts there. And um, like I was saying with the writing in the writing, I had moments where I was in the flow and there was like this crazy creative swirl that I couldn't harness. So I had to do what one would consider then masculine practices to harness it and then I had times where I was like so structured that I kind of lost my flow and then I had to do you know feminine like body practices to get back into the flow so if you have to strengthen the part of you that kicks ass so to speak there's a few things that you can do one of the things that I find extremely useful this is another one where I ate my words right Mm -hmm. for a long time I would go on and on and on about how meditation is you know not for women Mm -hmm. well that's not entirely true right meditation is a somewhat masculine practice but sometimes we do need to kind of like you said kick ass and and get a bit out of the flow and for that sitting And I mostly only sit for like 10, 15 minutes and I just sit. I do this thing called do nothing meditation, which is exactly (laughs) what it sounds like. I just sit. I don't count my breath. I don't, I don't, I don't uh, even corral my thoughts or anything like that. I just sit. I keep my body quiet and in a structured posture and I let myself just be there. And I find that to be extremely clarifying. Um, I also do nonlinear movement where you move your entire body, right, uh, uh, like spontaneously and let my mind go. But for focusing, that's one of the practices I do. The other thing that I do a lot of that I think is one of the reasons my brain works the way my brain works, uh, meaning, you know, I can be super structured in multiple dimensions. Uh, across a wide variety of topics at the same time because what I do is I have lists Mm. and it's really really hilarious when you see me work I have I always get the biggest desk I can possibly get and you know wherever wherever I'm at I'll get the biggest possible surface and then I have notepads I still work mostly when I'm on the road I have to do it electronically but um, but i have notepads and the notepads are topics so and and so i write lists about everything that needs to be done and i structure the list so that one topic is on or, you know one area is on one list and so i have i've developed this way of structuring my mind by kind of it's like almost like a silo you know like it goes mm-hmm. up down and I keep all these topics separately and within the topic, go through everything that needs to be done and all the steps necessary and the outcome and everything. And I I do that also on a very big whiteboard. I have like an eight foot whiteboard. And that, like nothing else, makes my... It It, well... What it is, is like, you know, to to, to say it in the, in the terms that we've all heard many times, I'm giving structure to my flow, mm. right? I'm giving my own flow structure. I like that. And that's, I find that super useful. Now, it's nice when somebody else gives you structure and I'm very lucky in the sense that my teaching partner does provide a lot of structure for my creative flow. But... I'm not banking on that. And I also don't want to be dependent on that. So um, I can provide extremely tight structure to an enormous amount of creative flow via those lists. And so I can highly recommend it. The more detailed you can get with lists that are kind of um, vertical, right? Not horizontal.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay.
2: Thank you. That's a really good one.
1: It's interesting because <clears throat> I already have like a formal sitting practice, but mm. i felt really drawn to this um, lists practice in your book. Also, I felt that really stood out to me. So when you're mentioning that now, also making it um, horizontal instead of vertical, because when it's vertical, I often get overwhelmed. But <laughs> when you say make it horizontal, I'm like, oh, They're like
2: structuring it on the different
1: topics and kind of keeping them separate. That
2: really yes. That really is. Yeah. So that's vertical. Horizontal would be going all across, right? Vertical is up, down. So yeah, you want to have it, you want to have it vertical in the sense that you want to have one topic go from the top to the bottom. Yes. And then it's horizontal in the sense that you have all the different topics next to each other. Yes. But if they network, they network, but I don't make them networking, right? So I, mm-hmm. I keep them very, very separate. And that. It does something to my mind that's really you know, I can't say enough about it. It's it's very it, it's very enlivening because it allows f- f- for me to have the full flow within that one topic and not to have it bleed over into the next, into the next, into the next.
1: Mm. That's a really good one. I'm gonna start doing that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm a big, big, big fan of lists, all kinds of lists, all <laughs> kinds of things. So how many notepads not do you have for different lists? Uh, right now, because it's quite busy and I'm also building a house and, you know, a few other things, um, I have 11. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. I think it's have got about that one. <laughs> I want to
1: take inspiration yeah.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm in the middle of some massive um, construction project as well. And, and, and within that comes, of course, also, you know, a huge creative surge of, because, you know, I have to start from scratch. There's nothing left of, of the old house. So um, I have to essentially uh, buy, you know, and create and, and, and do everything new. And there's something really, really cool about that. Hmm. you wrote on your blog that it had burned down or something like you know? that yeah yeah my house burned in a wildfire okay. my house and everything in it so uh we're rebuilding the house and then you know it's kind of interesting because usually uh i was just looking earlier a uh, uh, you know woman who was in my women's group she's moving out of her house of 20 years and she had she they, you know she posts these photos of um boxes upon boxes upon boxes of stuff that's packed up and I was looking at that and I was going wow when I move it will just be my clothes Mm. (laughs) you know because I there's nothing else that that I have um yet for that house Mm. so it's it's going to be the easiest move ever Um, (laughs) there won't be any packing up to be done at all except for the few things that I've you know, collected in the year that the house has burned down, but that's actually quite minimal because where I'm now temporarily living there isn't much space. So um there's something really, really interesting about you know, it goes with that whole theme we've talked about, that that not calcifying in your ways and I, for one, am incredibly attached to my belongings, meaning I had things that I loved very, very dearly and collected for many years. So it's not natural for me to be um, unattached, right? To not have things. But within that also came a huge surge of renewal and uh, not having to be a certain way and not having to conform uh, even to my old routines, because one of the interesting things when you lose everything, right, including your home,
1: mm-hmm.
2: is that um you realize how much of life is kind of an autopilot. Mm-hmm. And you know, you get up in the morning, you know exactly where your cup is, you you pop on the kettle. Um you know, I'm a I'm an avid tea drinker, so that's the first thing I do before I do anything else. Tea is being made. Mm-hmm. And when I no longer had a kettle or a home or tea or a cup, right? Um, And then you you have to reestablish all of that. And it's not in the places you know it to be. It really shakes up your system and everything took so long. Like even the slightest thing took so long because I didn't have what it took to do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I I remember like a couple of days after the fire, my, my, it was very dry and dusty and horrible. And I had a broken nail and I didn't have a nail file. Mm -hmm. And I, there was nothing anywhere to be found that could cut my nail off. So I sat there chewing my nail off. (laughs) And it was so interesting to notice what that did to the system. Because a lot of why, when you get older, time goes faster I think, uh, personally, is because you are on autopilot for so much of the time, Mm. right? There's so many established rhythms and routines. And when I was out of all those rhythms and routines, I mean, days felt endless. And uh, that was both really, really good and really bad. But out of it is now, you know, with those 11 notepads and Uh, this year's teaching and and all the new workshops I've created since um, there is kind of everything goes again right there's no more preconceived notions so it's quite it's quite cool Mm -hmm.
1: I can definitely relate to that one what you're saying there like living light of lived out of two suitcases for over 10 years I think and I've been moving countries and continents multiple times and coming into new places where it was completely empty and starting all over again. So I, I know the feeling and I appreciate that kind of lightness a lot for a long time. And right now I think I'm also at a point in life where I'm really longing for like creating a home and like digging roots somewhere and kind of having like, this is my space. So, so,
2: yeah. Yeah, so do I, by the way, you know, I can't wait for my new house to be done. I mean, you know, I I long for that grounding on, Mm. on a certain uh, now, you know, but I've also learned, and I'm sure you did that too, with the two suitcases, you learn how to ground wherever you are in different ways. And I think that was quite valuable because I've certainly been on the uh, very, you know, my home was my everything kind of, Mm. um, and, and So now, now I get to have the best of both worlds. I get to travel and be in all these different fantastic countries and meet people. And at the same time, I get to have a solid home base again mm. at some point this year. <laughs> not, not, not quite, but at some point. You get the best out of both worlds
1: was it in the in the wildfire last summer that the house burned then
2: uh it was the the big the big wildfire that the Thomas fire in december of 2017 so it's been almost oh, okay. uh a year and 5 months
1: oh, okay not the one last summer okay <clears throat> okay mm. terrible those fires in
2: california god yeah and i'm sure there will be you know more uh, hopefully hopefully we're building in a way that you know makes it uh, stable and everything but um, yeah it's it's an interesting thing but uh, and it was really really catastrophic and at the same time now that I'm coming out the other end I have to say that uh, you know it's been a very interesting process both in the having to let go and so much burning up and in the resurgence that's coming you know the the tides coming in very very strongly right now and that's really really good
1: Mm -hmm. okay i wish you all the best with your beautiful new house Ah, thank you you. (laughs) (laughs) okay i have a question um about something that you don't um discuss in the book but i'm sure many listeners are um struggling with that um and this about anxiety so as a psychologist, um, how do you understand anxiety, and what would you, what kind of advice or counsel would you give to people who are anxious, and especially if they have anxiety attacks, like how to stay functional in the world and kind of being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Actually in the book there's quite a bit about that I just phrase it slightly different mm-hmm. but when you look at the whole sections around overwhelm and fight and flight and oh, trauma yeah. those sections are directly related to anxiety and those sections are written directly out of my out of my experience of working with people with anxiety and panic disorders um, I saw clients in a rehab for in a in a very you know dual diagnosis very heavy duty uh, rehab for uh, about four almost five years and this is quite a while ago but um, that particular work uh, and that particular view on things you know and also the nonlinear movement came out of that experience of you know, people just having such massive anxiety that they'll they'll jump out of their skin, you know, mm-hmm. so to speak, or medicate heavily with drugs. Yeah. And so what I talk about in the book, which is something that's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, a, it's a construct, of course, that I developed in my one-on-one sessions fairly early on because I worked a lot with um, kind of guided relaxations, hypnosis, subconscious work, around anxiety and and trauma um, is that you can imagine a bit that each human um, via their nervous system right via the way they're built and the nervous system you know that that the way our nervous system works is comprised of um, things we were born with things that happened uh, before we were born in utero or and then of course experiences right and body composition And then trauma or non-trauma and how we were nurtured and how we attach and all of those kind of things. And there's a million things that play into that. But so how I would explain it always um, to my clients was that you can imagine that your body, your nervous system has a cup and it is your cup, meaning it's the size, you're given a size of cup, so to speak. And some people have a gigantic bucket and some people have a little thimble, Mm. right? Um, Depending on their nervous system. And so when you wake up in the morning, ideally, ideally uh, the bucket or cup or thimble is empty. And then the stressors of the day are like drops in the cup. And so, so there's a variety of stressors. So there's external stress. So, um, one of which is, um, input, right? Loud sounds, um, you know, music, the, 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 the pings and dings of your, uh, of your devices, uh, a plane landing overhead, um, you know, uh, all of those things, uh, the input of media, the input of loud TV, uh, driving, you know, honking horns, all of that. So there's sensory input.
1: Yeah.
2: Then there is the input that comes or, or the drops that are created by stress, right? You are late to work and it's loud. And, you know, and then there's uh, all these stressors. And then there's drops in the cup that are created by internal Thought process, so negative thinking, let's say, or catastrophic thinking, or worried thinking. So, all of those are drops in the cup. So, you know, the alarm goes off, it's loud outside, you're late for work, you start berating yourself on the way to work for being late, then you start worrying about how work is going to be, or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So, all of that is drip, 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 drip into the cup. So, Um, When your cup is about 50% full, you start showing signs of stress and anxiety, right? And and that manifests in a heightened blood pressure, faster pulse, uh, you know, adrenals start firing. Um, Eventually, when you go high enough, you get like a dry mouth or metallic taste. Mm. Uh, Your extremities become uh, less uh, you know you can feel pins and needles sometimes Um, your breath goes faster you get hot you get tunnel vision you know like all of those things can happen and of course those are the classic signs of fight or flight right when the body takes over from your rational mind so to speak um, when the nervous system goes into survival and that particular thing is what we then call a panic attack, right? That's just the moment your body, you know, the cup runs over, so to speak. Mm. And you can get the cup to run over just from negative thoughts. You could get the cup to run over from just some actual thing happening, right? For instance, when you're on a plane and it gets really, 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 really bumpy, that's actual threat to your life right (laughs) so so it could be anything from oh my god i'm so horrible to oh shit, i'm going to die on a (coughs) plane you know in turbulence to um so much stressors in your external landscape that your body has to shut down now because it's overwhelmed so that's how i explain it that essentially it's how many drops go into your cup And so when you have a lot of anxiety, there's two things to look at. Uh, One is how can you reduce the drops in the cup and how can you empty the cup? Right. So on one end you want less to go into the cup. On the other end, you want solid tools to empty the cup. And they're two different things and they often get conflated. So, uh, ways to not have as much a dr- drips in the cup of course is things if you have extremely negative self-talk that would be cognitive behavioral therapy um, you know learning how to think more positively even affirmations even though I'm not a great believer in just affirmations but you know at times a mantra of I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine you know can do the job yeah. so so that on the on the cognitive level there's understanding where the negative self talk the low self esteem the anxiety comes from, um, then you can reduce the drops in the cup by reducing the overload, less time on the computer, uh, turning the sounds off on your devices, uh, noise cancelling headphones, and so on and so on and so on, so you can reduce the overstimulation on your system and Um, You can reduce the stress on your system by exposing yourself to less stress or by making changes in your life that create less stress. So that's all reducing drops in the cup. And then there's emptying the cup. Those are all the tools and practices that are usually given. So meditation, yoga, movement, nonlinear movement, um, massages, baths, uh, you know, sitting quietly in nature, hobbies, doing things that are not related to work, being in quiet, um, sleeping a solid eight hours, eating well, exercising, um, you know, uh, hydrating, right? Those are all things that empty the cup. Mm. So when you understand that, then you can manage that dripping into the cup better because let's say if i have a very stressful day so i know that there will be external stressors then what i do is i don't check my email first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. definitely right and i certainly don't read the news and don't go onto facebook Mm -hmm. and i don't you know don't do any of the things that create that stimulus yeah um I probably go and sit somewhere very quietly, have a cup of tea and write my lists. Um, and I will eat and drink before my activity starts so that my, you know, my cup isn't overly full by the time I enter a stressful situation. So for instance, I used to have pretty bad flight anxiety, um, Mm -hmm. I still don't like flying very much, but you know, for the most part, I can manage it by understanding that um, I need to make sure that I'm not already so overloaded by the time I get on the plane that the first turbulence makes my cup flow over.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. And that has taken some uh, re-engineering of things. Like for instance, I no longer drive myself to the airport. Um, I take a car service. Right. And, um, I take later in the day flights so that I don't have to get up at three in the morning. Mm. And I pack the night before. So, you know, that's not happening. And I have a very specific meal before I leave. And, you know, all of those kind of things. So when I arrive at, uh, at the airport and, on, and, and the overwhelm starts, I'm starting from a fairly empty cup. And when you know that, then you can manage things a lot more effectively
1: hmm. sounds like really good self-care practices i mean i really i really like that um metaphor um the cup was when i first remembered now I was in the book because i could like my cup is kind of small and then i could sometimes like before go into like oh but this person like she's so resilient and, and so tough <laughs> like why doesn't she get ever shaky you know And
2: then just knowing that, okay, this person just got a really big bucket. That's right. That person might have a really big bucket. Now here's the interesting thing. You can, you can expand the size of the container, Mm. right? Um, And you can expand the size of the container by doing good practices and by creating resilience. And here's something really interesting about resilience that's important to know in that particular way. Um, only reducing input makes you a uh, hermit that can no longer function, mm. right? So you have to you have to decrease input when you need the cup empty, and when you have some availability, you actually uh, expose yourself to the input while relaxing, which is what makes the cup bigger, so to
1: speak. Mm. Stretching the comfort zone.
2: Yeah. And so that way you can create resilience and that way you can, um, actually have a bigger bucket over time. And, uh, it has a lot to do with relaxing the nervous system, releasing stuff from the body that, um, you know, needs to be released. So you don't have all this armor and, and hold, and then specifically working in those areas that, Um, Where in resilience and and your bucket so to speak can be increased
1: yeah that's really good I think I did that actually kind of unconsciously before um, I lived in New York City (laughs) in 2016 before I lived in the woods in Sweden and I was like this person who was like getting stressed over everything in the city and then I moved to New York and suddenly I was like forced to become more resilient and and expand and just like I just had to do it and then now i actually feel much more stronger than before by just kind of
2: exactly Exactly. (laughs) yeah i think that's really really important because i've seen what happens to people who you know deem themselves so sensitive Mm -hmm. that they can't deal and it it lowers their threshold and it narrows their choices and more and more and more and um, that's not a good scene for anyone involved Uh, And so I think it's really, really important that within the limits of your nervous system, you create the biggest bucket possible. Being very kind and mindful about your, you know, set of circumstances, but at the same time, uh, not shrink back from, you know, being with these things. Yeah. Yeah. So, that all said, um, I think we must slowly end because um, I, oh, have I have time. Two contractors waiting for me.
1: Oh, okay. I'm <laughs> sorry.
2: No, no, it was really, really great. So, I wish we could go longer and longer and longer, but at <laughs> some point we will have probably also exhausted the willingness of people to listen. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, maybe we can have a round two in a few months or so. Exactly, so, yes. yes. Yeah, we can talk about some other stuff like pleasure or exactly. dating,
1: you know, so relationships,
2: <laughs> all that good stuff. Yeah.
1: I, love it. I love it. So just to finish up, um, where can our listeners find you if they want to connect with you?
2: Uh, well, I'm assuming you will post my website, right? Yes. yes. Which is Michaela Bohm. B, uh, so it's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-A-B as in boy, O-E-H-M. So Michaela mm-hmm. And on there is um, all the offerings, both the online offerings and the um, in-person offerings. There's also a link that it says listen. And on listen, there's about almost 80 hours of free... Uh, Q and A's and you know like lectures and things like that from workshops, and uh, of course uh, there's a link to the book. The books, uh, oh, this is something I want to say. The book I I was able to read my own book for the audio version, so uh, the audiobooks read by me, which I'm very very happy about, and it was really pleasurable doing that. So the books on Amazon and you know um, other retailers as well, and can also be found on the website and um, anything else that's happening articles new stuff that's all on there as well under the news Wonderful. so easy to find we'll definitely post
1: it in the show notes in the link below and yes sure. the book is amazing highly recommended everybody go get the book on amazon it's really great I love it. so thank you so much Michaela, for being on our podcast and taking the time it was such a pleasure talking to you and yeah, maybe we speak again at some point. But I yes. been so much fun. <laughs> and
2: we might make it to Berlin this year. So we'll see. Oh, let me know. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this recording. Uh, if you want to know more, uh, you find uh, more about Nadia Eriksson on NadiaEriksson.com. If you want to contact me regarding this podcast or others of the ones that are out there online, you can contact me at post at And uh, feel free to join our Facebook group, Awaken Your Big She, the book, book club. So hopefully you will listen in next time.